past uh, last night or last uh, tea time and the day before, um, we've had some uh, nice discussions. And one of the topics that uh, seems to uh, come up uh, fairly often uh, and came up the uh, other day in these uh, tea time Q&As was around the contemplation teachings around not-self, anatta. And it seems to be, it's not something that I often spend a lot of time you know, giving a, a reflection on on an evening like this, because sometimes it can get a bit abstract uh, and conceptual. Um, but uh, it's always, I think it's worth uh, bringing up uh, for reflection, uh, such a core teaching, and one that can be kind of subtle and, and uh, difficult to uh, get, one mi- get one's mind around uh, easily enough. So uh, kind of apologies in advance if this gets to be a bit abstract. Uh, try to keep it as clear as I can. <laughs> it's not always easy to put these things into words. But uh, it, uh, it's a very uh, core teaching uh, around the three characteristics in general, anicca, dukkha, anatta, uh, and was... Uh, the basic uh, subject of the Buddha's uh, second discourse, the teaching on not-self, um, to the group of five ascetics that he was uh, practicing with and uh, teaching. I think uh, the best place to kind of just uh, open it up a little bit is w- around the um, the couple of paradigms that the Buddha introduced as ways that um, we can contemplate what we think of as who we are, uh, structures that we uh, form a sense of uh, identity around particularly uh, and get lost in, uh, the structures of um, the five khandhas and the six sense bases. Uh, the five khandhas uh, being that which we tend to form this identity view around, uh, sakaya ditti, one of the, the first three fetters uh, to liberation. Um, and then the uh, six sense bases sort of being the focus of the arising of, of craving, uh, the seed cause of, of, of dukkha, of suffering. Uh, uh, the craving is uh, very, that force of craving, tanha, is very uh, much seen uh, when uh, we regard it uh, in, in the uh, paradigm, the structure of, of the six sense bases the five physical sense bases, and then the sixth being the, the, the intellect, uh, those, that force of mind. So he introduces these two major ways of, of uh, examining who we are uh, and seeing uh, what our uh, assumptions 
uh, are doing in terms of leading us into dukkha, suffering. So the, the five khandhas, uh, of course, are, are form, feeling, perception, mental formations, and consciousness. This what we call the aggregates. Translate the khandhas into aggregates uh, that form the basis for this identity view, who we are, uh, and we uh, often identify with one or several or all of the these five aggregates as as the aggregates of being. This is who I am. I am this body, this form, uh, or I am these feelings of, uh, that I experience. Every, every moment of contact that we have has a uh, concomitant um, feeling, tone of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Uh, so we spend a lot of time uh, feeling our feelings and reacting to them uh, always. Uh, moving towards the pleasant, moving away from the unpleasant, and just being confused by everything else. Um, Our perceptions uh, are these memories and ways of classifying experience, identifying the world and the objects of the world around us. Uh, That's a person, that's a dog. Uh, Aspects of that, that's a, a nice person, that's a a mean person, um, all these ways we classify the world around us uh, uh, to organize it, uh, to organize all this sense data, perceptions. Mental formations, the active forms, the active qualities of the mind, the volitional formations, the most often experienced as thoughts, uh, but uh, moving into any kind of uh, mental qualities that uh, are fabricated, created. And then consciousness, that force of divided knowing that is always um, looking to orient oneself around uh, sights, sounds, tastes, tactile sensations, smells, uh, and thoughts and uh, intellect, uh, that darting around of uh, a factor of attention that keeps us moving from one of these uh, forms of knowing to another uh, through the sense bases, consciousness, awareness. So either taken together or taken separately, we tend to experience uh, a sense of self uh, around uh, these five aggregates, these khandhas. Uh, And... um, that is uh, a basic uh, as a base for for uh, much of our suffering because we then cling to it we hold to it so this is the the structure that the buddha um refers to uh when he's talking about um, the three, what, what's often called the three characteristics uh, of existence, uh, anicca, dukkha, anatta, impermanence, 
suffering or unsatisfactoriness, dukkha, anatta, uh, not-self, non-self, no-self, some variously translated in, in many different ways. And talks about analyzing our experience uh, to, to understand these three characteristics, to understand how um, we suffer uh, and how to release us from that form of suffering in relation to how we hold this, this identity view, particularly of ourselves. And when we when we often hear these teachings, uh, particularly in the in, in, as we first come into uh, Buddhist philosophy, Buddhist teachings, uh, oftentimes it's presented, and we can start to hold it as as like a metaphysical doctrine. Uh, you hear oftentimes even kind of translations of, you know, everything is suffering, or uh, everything is impermanent, or there is no self. There is no self. These very broad, direct statements um, that point to some sort of metaphysical teaching, uh, a declaration of um, a doctrine. And we start to try and figure out, well, how uh, how can I understand this or how can I experience this uh, and, and make it as a basis for uh, the ending of suffering. And it becomes a very uh, intellectual experience, uh, a very abstract experience, and we turn it into kind of like a, a philosophy, or we can, um, and try and figure out, well, w- what does this all have to do with meditation to make myself you know, peaceful and calm and to... You know, settle the mind and and um, uh, you know just get a little get a little happiness in my life. You know, how does trying to accept a belief system or a doctrine of everything is suffering and there is no self that <laughs> doesn't doesn't sound very peaceful peaceful when you hold it in that in that kind of way. At least I remember when I first encountered these teachings, this is how I was holding it. Well, how do I pull this all together? Just, you know, it seems kind of uh, bleak and, you know, empty of uh, any kind of pleasure. So it, it takes a lot of time and consideration and individual practice to, to, to come to see how to, how to use these teachings uh, as a tool for liberation. I remember, um, particularly in the earlier days of my practice, when I was contemplating these things and also trying to develop my meditation, um, it was kind of a combination of um, factors that just created a lot of confusion and a lot of uh, suffering for myself. And one of them was uh, practicing practicing meditation with the idea that 
what I should be doing is uh, narrowing my uh, uh, field of awareness, developing what I thought at that time was concentration uh, by uh, trying to blot out uh, sensory stimulation uh, and that the path to to peaceful mind, to a concentrated mind, was um, gradually, quietly uh, moving oneself into uh, very pristine, quiet, uh, isolated circumstances, uh, watching uh, my breath at a very narrow point of mind, excluding uh, you know point of focus like the tip of the nose, uh, and excluding uh, any other kind of uh, sensory impingement. So the quieter, more pristine uh, it got, uh, the less sensory impingement there was, uh, the more uh, I would try and then uh, eliminate you know any kind of distraction uh, at all, any kind of input uh, that uh, would interfere with my uh, uh, seeing um, the breathing uh, coming in and out uh, at this one very refined point. And combining that with uh, trying to find what this non-self was all about, you know, uh, where is where is my non-self? If if everything is not self, where is my non-self? And uh, with the combination of those two things, uh, combining on, you know, this was my idea of what uh, the Buddhist path was supposed to to do. You know, get a very pristine, quiet state of mind, and then um, uh, find a you know, and find a non-self because there is no self. So what's that? What's that all about? You know, where I, where can I get that? <laughs> uh, and then you know, at some point, the the, the teaching teachings on emptiness uh, came to, to my attention uh, and slightly different connotations and uses in, say, the Theravada uh, and in the Mahayana, but all getting kind of mixed up together and, you know, kind of contemplating, well, everything is empty, too. Okay, well, what is that? What's that all about? Um, so, you know, it became even a stronger course of trying to annihilate uh, all sorts of uh, experience and to try and narrow the focus and uh, get quiet and not have to think anything, not have to feel anything, not have to experience anything so that I could uh, find this space of, of emptiness um, which seemed you know, to be the, the most pristine form of, of uh, uh, non-dukkha, non-suffering. And uh, over the years, I realized that, you know, maybe there was something not quite so uh, peaceful <laughs> in all of that. And I remember when I first started hearing uh, some teachings from Ajahn Amaro, he would describe that kind of uh, attempt at meditation as um, kind of like trying to create a police state um, so that, you know, you've got this constant... Uh, force of mind trying to eliminate anything unpleasant and trying to keep it all under control through, you know, uh, uh, forceful means, through uh, finding anything that's disturbing, picking it up, putting it in prison, locking it away, and not having to deal with it. Um, or sometimes he, I remember he would also use the analogy of like a shooting gallery. So, you know, like, 
know, the, the old times of those uh, uh, video games. You'd go to the video arcade and uh, you'd you know, have the little uh, ducks crossing over in front of you on the, on the screen and you'd have your little rifle and you'd be shooting each one of them down as they appeared. And it's like watching uh, the mind and watching every thought, every stimulation, every idea, every uh, interruption that comes in fr- into this pristine state of mind and shooting it down and eliminating it. Um, and that just becomes a very uptight, very controlled uh, state. And when uh, the policeman, when the police state uh, moves somewhere else and the, the policemen aren't there trying to keep all of the, uh, the people um, uh, under control, then it all just pops right back up again. Uh, so when the forceful attention uh, to eliminating thoughts and really f- eliminating any kind of stimulation, trying to move into sensory deprivation, when the ability to do that just starts to wear off, um, then uh, you know all the all the criminals start to pop up again. So at, at some point, uh, I started to realize that, well, this is, you know, um, I'm, I'm trying to create something that's, try, is, is, that's not, you know, possible to create because uh, it just gets involved with this whole process of fabrication, uh, of uh, creating a structure um, uh, that uh, itself uh, is just another um, fabrication that is uh, subject to... Uh, arising and ceasing uh, when the causes and conditions uh, are no longer there. And that the uh, gradually start to understand, started to understand that the uh, contemplation of not-self is a deconstructive process. Um, It's a contemplative strategy. It's not a doctrine. It's not a metaphysical belief. Um, There is no self. It's a a contemplative strategy to say, well, how can I... um, look at what it is that I usually regard as who I am and little by little uh, start to deconstruct that assumption, uh, that perception. So the way the Buddha deals with that is by taking it step by step, like in that uh, second sutta that he he taught, the Anattalakana Sutta, um, taking these five aggregates that we normally uh, establish some sort of self-identity around and uh, deconstructing that perception uh, through uh, a a, a very uh, clear um, contemplative strategy. So we look at this body and we, you know, look at it in terms of its uh, changing nature uh, and most particularly um, around the, the lack of, of control that we have over it. Because a sense of control uh, is, is something that comes, uh, comes along with the sense of self, uh, a sense of identity or a sense of ownership. Uh, this is mine. Um, so we look uh, in, our, in, in terms of real experience, not just in terms of uh, thought or concept, 
but not just considering it as an idea, but really in our in our meditation, once the mind has attained a modicum of of calm, modicum of peace, we look at this body, uh, and um, uh, we examine it, we feel it, uh, and we see all the subtle ways that this body uh, has an intelligence of its own, it has a life of its own. It does what it does. We we can influence it, we can uh, have a modicum of control over what we put into it, nourishment, um, how we treat illnesses, uh, the various exercises that we can do, or you know, moving through space. There's a modicum of control, but essentially... Um, it's it's its own it's its own entity it's its own being the body uh, does what it does it has a trajectory of its own uh, we don't have a lot of control over it we can't we can't never get ill we can't um, we can't avoid uh, aging uh, we can't avoid sickness we can't avoid dying uh, the body just has its course uh, it's influenced and affected by external factors. Uh, but essentially it does what it does. And it's doing it all the time. Uh, it's doing it as we're sitting here. It's doing it as I'm speaking. The body is, the heart is beating, the lungs are breathing, uh, the metabolic functions are happening, uh, the movements, subtle movements of hands and feet and uh, eye, eyebrows and eyelashes and lids and swallowing and uh, digestion. All of these things are just going on right here, right now, all the time. Uh, and we don't have anything to do with it. It's just a force of nature, a force of biology. So we pick it up as a contemplation. Okay. Am I this body? Is this who I am? Do I have control over what's going on here in every detail, every shift of position, It just happens. And we dwell with that. We pick that up. We we just keep looking at it in that way. We try not to get distracted uh, from that observation of this body in constant motion, constant activity, uh, even subtly. Uh, And this is is a contemplative strategy to get a, a feeling, get a fix, get a, um, uh, get a hint of what does this mean in terms of who I think I am. And the body is the best place to, to spend a lot of time because it's, it's so concrete, it's here, it's, it's, uh, it's very present moment oriented. But eventually we also extend that to all the other aspects uh, of our experience, uh, the feelings, perceptions, uh, thoughts, moods, emotions, and the constant movement of consciousness through the, through the six senses. Uh, and watch to see how a sense of self arises around that and how transient that can be as well. Do we really have uh, control over our experience of pleasant or unpleasant uh, feelings? We have control over our reactions to those, but the actual 
we can't we can't just say I only want pleasant feeling. I only want uh, to feel good. I only want things like uh, nice tastes and nice sounds and uh, people to look at that are are pleasing. You know, we can't do that. We can't avoid the unpleasant. Uh, they're part of who you know, part of nature. Uh, and just to watch those arise and pass away and contemplate, well, where does that come from? Is there any sense of ownership that I can really hold over that? We, we step back a little bit and watch it all happen uh, as it happens. And the same with um, perceptions, uh, how we view the world, the constantly changing perceptions of how we hold uh, our understanding of other people, you know. Enemies become friends, friends become enemies, uh, something changes, uh, and uh, all of a sudden we realize that how we're holding certain aspects of our experience were wrong, misperceptions. Thoughts, you know, do we really have control over our thoughts? Can we think only wonderful thoughts? Can we uh, completely uh, eliminate uh, all the uh, unpleasant thoughts or any kind of thoughts uh, completely uh, with this police state that we try and put onto it? And you can step back, and, and also in the same way that we watch the body's um, uh, intelligence or the body's own. Uh, own way of uh, operating on its own in the world. We watch the uh, how thoughts arise and pass away, depending on causes and conditions that we really don't have a lot of uh, uh, control over. Again, we have control over how we respond, how we uh, uh, move with them. Um, but oftentimes, uh, they'll just arise based on uh, conditions that we've put into uh, into the pot for our experience from the past. And how consciousness constantly moves from hearing something to feeling something to seeing something, you know, all through the sense bases, depending on the strength of the stimulus that's coming in and how consciousness darts from one to the other uh, and creates this illusion of continuity. All of these processes just going on, uh, and it's only it's only through our own ignorance uh, and our own uh, inability to see that all of this is happening without a controlling agent that I can call myself. So instead of trying to create a non-self that can experience emptiness, we um, look at all of that that we consider to be, uh, uh, that we assume to be ourselves, uh, and one by one uh, we deconstruct this, not in the attempt to try and find out who we are, but in the attempt to try and find out who we aren't. And that's where we leave it. Uh, we leave it at that kind of um, uh, process 
of, of eliminating all of our misconceptions one by one. And it doesn't mean that experience ends, you know, trying to end our, uh, trying to end our, if we think we've got a self that we try and uh, uh, need to uh, get rid of, then we move into kind of the annihilationist viewpoint of trying to just eliminate all of the experience uh, altogether. But it's more trying to see how uh, we uh, are misperceiving our world through this lens of of uh, self identity and then we see what that experience is like if we can do that eventually completely we do it little by little get little hits of it and this is what this is what is called insight it, um, once we have quieted the mind enough just to be able to see these processes. <clears throat> And to start some of this deconstruction, particularly again starting with the body itself, um, then a brief insight uh, can occur. This is what we call the experience of insight, uh, seeing things in their true nature. Um, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an experience. It's not a belief. It's not a conceptualization. It's not a place uh, that we get to. Uh, it's just an understanding that uh, arises through uh, seeing things clearly, knowledge and vision of the way things are. So sometimes we you know, think that we just keep doing that and that that will create this, um, uh, that, that that's liberation itself. But that's, uh, insight is, uh, is the basis for liberation, um, but... Uh, it needs to go a bit further in that uh, as we see uh, these qualities uh, of experience um, as uh, transient, not self, and therefore uh, ultimately unsatisfactory, uh, as we see that, we develop this sense of uh, that, that's what uh, disenchantment, Ajahn uh, Lumpal was talking about disenchantment the other day, and we're just, we've lost the enchantment. We've lost, we're not fooled by these five khandas or these six sense spaces anymore. We experience this nibbita, disenchantment, uh, which isn't a, you know, a revulsion or a disgust, as he was saying, but um, it's, a, it's a form of turning away because we see clearly that it's not where we want to uh, try and find a sense of security or a sense of refuge. So disenchantment seen very clearly. And with that comes that sense of dispassion, just had enough, had enough. And it's that kind of, you know, almost affective, emotional, deep heart, uh, deep in the heart kind of response uh, that arises when we experience this uh, understanding uh, repetitively and deeply beyond, you know, a brief insight, although that gives us, you know, a doorway in. 
but when the underlying defilements that are in control, the the, the root causes of, of our suffering, this, uh, the uh, the wanting, the craving, the uh, wanting to get rid of, uh, the um, ill will, the you know the aversion, uh, and the delusion, the confusion. When those are completely uh, out of the picture through repetitive experience of seeing them, um, then that uh, leads to a full relinquishment, uh, rather than say just a momentary insight. Uh, and that's what uh, gives rise to uh, a full relinquishment and letting go. And, and the experience of liberation. So deep penetration of uh, these... Um, conf- the ways that we confuse ourselves through seeking permanence in that which is uh, unstable, that which is inherently unstable, seeking security in that which is inherently unstable, seeking um, uh, satisfaction in that which is inherently unsatisfactory, uh, seeking a a stable sense of of self in that which is uh, uh, inherently uh, unstable, uh, in terms of a self-perception, always changing. That's our that's our doorway into this turning away from the realm of conditions, the realm of fabrications, uh, and into uh, a letting go. Again, a deconstructive process uh, that opens ourself to the underlying truth. So sometimes that's just not clear in the way the teachings come across and, 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 and we feel like we have to uh, really force ourselves to uh, eliminate experience um, and uh, create a, a, a very pristine, undisturbed state of mind uh, such that uh, we can penetrate into a state of, of non-self or no-self or emptiness uh, and dwell there, and then that, that's the path. It's, it's really just the opposite. Uh, it's uh, being willing to very gradually learn how to simplify the mind, settle the mind, let go of the obstructions uh, to clear seeing, and to encourage that uh, through careful attention. But always as a way of deconstructing, letting go. Uh, and when we think, as in the words of Upasaka when we think we've let go of everything, then let go some more. So anyway, these are just a few thoughts that uh, came up over the past couple of days at Tea Time Q&A and just wanted to kind of consolidate that into... Uh, a bit of a reflection for this evening. So uh, I'll leave it for there for tonight.